Hi, this is Isaac Arthur. Welcome to the show and don't forget to check out this month's Nebula exclusive, Giant Space Monsters. To get access and help support the show while hearing every episode early and ad free, plus hours of bonus content, check out go.nebula.tv slash Isaac Arthur and use my code Isaac Arthur. We often discuss if space travel is feasible and if we can settle strange new worlds, but if we can, there is still the question of if we will. Welcome to Science and Futurism with Isaac Arthur for a holiday bonus episode. We talk a lot about how we could colonize space on this show, and odds are good that if you watch this channel much, you probably believe we can and should colonize space. If you're new to the channel, then welcome, grab a drink and a snack, because even our short bonus episodes tend to be on the longer side, and don't forget to hit the like and subscribe buttons. As we wrap up the year and get ready to enter the tenth year of the show, I'm also near the end of my first year as the President of the National Space Society, and something that's been a major internal discussion in 2023 is the abnormally large number of generally negative articles on the possibility of space development. Most of these are honestly poorly researched even when appearing in bigger publications, and without naming names a few smell like they've been written by either an AI or someone who thought glancing at the first paragraph of a Wikipedia article made them an expert on the topic, and still others felt like they just cloned the talking points of such a paper. There's always room for criticism of course, and I've had my own over the years about overly optimistic and daydream-like visions of our future in space and we're not here today to criticize any single article or author nor to speculate about why this uptick in space pessimistic articles seems to have occurred. Rather, it got me thinking that there was more to space development and settlement than the actual ability to do it or the apparent advantages overall. Indeed, there are some apparent disadvantages, and lacking much real data to compare, nobody can really say a future in space is provably better than one without. I could and will make the argument that the possibility of a mountain-sized rock hitting Earth sometime in the next billion years is high enough that one can assume we need a defense against this, and that without we may cease to exist, but in truth the probability of one able to erect civilization and keep it down for millennia is on the small side, and the odds of one that could sterilize the planet even smaller. The cost of being in space in a major way for millions of years just to avoid a catastrophe that probably would only set us back for a century or two at most is likely to exceed that rebuilding cost by orders of magnitude. So even our arguments that we must not keep all our eggs in one basket get kind of iffy because the only real existential threats to humanity tend to be the sorts of things we would export with us to every new settlement in space like ourselves, AI, and doomsday devices, and which could occur on any one of those planets and radiate out from there to get us all. So instead of one planet that might develop a murderous and powerful AI, you get several hundred that could, or even several billion. You are a lot more likely to get struck by lightning if you walk around with a metal antenna, and even more so if you decide to erect a hundred antennas and connect electric cables to them and hold on to the whole bundle during a storm. As simply put, what are the odds a once in a hundred million years asteroid will hit us in the next 10,000 years and also manage to wipe us out, and what are the odds the 10,000 or so interstellar colonies we might found in the next 10,000 years might unleash a murderous and brilliant AI on accident, or even decide to come home to attack and conquer or exterminate us? 
I think you can say that a small island nation on an empty planet increases their odds of survival overall by spreading out to other islands, but this is not really a scenario that protects that island and the folks living there, more plagues and war from abroad threaten them. On the flip side, far more innovation is available when coming from a hundred neighboring lands too, and allies can help you if that island gets hammered by a hurricane. I think the equation works out in favor of spreading out, but there's a lot of unknowns and a lot of subjective values in there, and today we're a bit less interested in what the actual status of things are and more in how many will perceive them, and in this regard, you can make a case that colonizing off-Earth, particularly out of the solar system, offers little survival benefits to Earth itself. On the other hand, just because I said the all-your-eggs-in-one-basket survival idea isn't all that strong, it does not mean everyone feels that way. The one critical factor in play we will also keep coming back to is that humans as a group are prone to wanting to wander off and start new tribes when things get to feel a bit full, crowded, or slow in upward mobility. If interstellar colonization is practical, then we won't need everyone on board to do it, just some. Of course the rebuttal to that is that if the majority feel starting new colonies exposes us to net danger, they can easily ban interstellar settlement trips, in terms of the physical capability to do so. Spacecraft are not stealthy, and very easy to shoot down, particularly since the ship needs to carry fuel to slow down at a destination and a torpedo chasing them does not. Typically speaking, the same engine design will allow a ship, or missile, to go twice as fast on the same fuel without needing to slow down. There are defenses against missiles following you in space, but they enjoy more advantages as the pursuer and a planet can send wave after wave after that ship. This is the strongest argument against space colonization in the sense of if we would do it or not, as opposed to if we can or should, that we would not view space as getting all of our eggs out of one basket, but rather transplanting embryos of civilization that could bring about our ruin, that we might be planting the seeds of our own doom. It is very easy to imagine some planetary government deciding that future settlements, besides limited and controlled scientific and military outposts, might represent an awful lot of existential risk to civilization as a whole, and reasoning that it did not wish to support those activities. It need not even be particularly authoritarian and tyrannical to conclude that, though they would seem more likely to. For the foreseeable future, interstellar colonization is unlikely to happen without a lot of governmental support. Even a major corporation wishing to bankroll such an enterprise would be decidedly vulnerable to government or public pressure to cease and desist, or simply wait. This might persist as a situation for many centuries if no one develops a means of making space travel practical as a smaller scale endeavor. Now in the long term, where long is on a scale of tens of thousands, if not tens of millions of years, we should assume all technology you practically need for space colonization is going to get developed even if you're not actively trying to settle other star systems. Either interstellar colonization is feasible or it is not, and again this episode is more about the will to try rather than the technical feasibility. I have difficulty imagining that a civilization would be able to maintain the political willpower for banning and enforcing bans on interstellar colonization for tens of millions of years without pause, and once the bans go down and some colonies get made, it's very hard to stuff the genie back into the bottle or close Pandora's box. Not impossible, 
but it would probably require some proof that it was a horrible idea early on that scarred humanity against it. Also, we are talking interstellar colonization not interplanetary, and while you could maintain a single government over a fully developed star system due to the short communication time, I tend to doubt you ever would. I tend to think that contrarian behavior being what it is, if Earth, the Moon, and Mars all ban interstellar flight then the asteroid belt mining conglomerates will cheerfully bankroll it. And even a unified government tends to have powerful internal factions so unity, even tyrannical unity, doesn't necessarily stop this effect. Thus I can't see the ban, or soft ban by stepping on funding, being very enforceable unless people really despise the idea. So too, I have difficulty seeing all humanity being opposed to space settlement. Putting it bluntly, we have not got a huge rate of tangible return on investment from space exploration compared to certain other research and development avenues, and people still love it. I'm sure I do not get exposed to a random and fair distribution of people and opinions on space, but in years of doing this I've only met a couple folks who really dislike the idea of space settlement. There is no public outcry to defund NASA and against various Moon or Mars expeditions. And what little there is typically comes from pro-space camps wanting to shift that funding to another space project, not eliminate it. It's mostly the various folks inside the space industry and government who tend to just be tight-fisted with taxpayer money in general, which I generally approve of, or who criticize each other's projects in favor of their own. Which is also arguably healthy if unpleasant to watch. Or of late, for me personally at least, to have to try to arbitrate. Circular firing squads come to mind, but in the long term these will have no negative impact on space colonization. And again, healthy criticism is a good thing. As I like to point out on this topic, we are not in a big hurry, space is not going to save us from ourselves or our mistakes. I see no reason to go slow or be patient, but time is on the side of easier space travel. All technological improvements make space development cheaper, much as space technology does frequently give us benefits down here on Earth. But folks worry about time running out and the answer is that it probably is not going to, but if we are imagining some doomsday climate scenario, space won't save us from that. Mars is far harder to terraform than Earth is to fix, even if we nuked Earth so hard it glowed in the dark. For my part, barring a sudden improvement in either fusion technology or public opinion on fission technology, I'm rather expecting a big growth in renewables. I expect solar panels and battery improvements to reach a level of genuine economic viability or even favorability in the next 10-20 years. From a mix of new science, experience of manufacturing and implementation, and economy of scale. Many would argue that that tipping point has already been reached and their arguments have merit. I also do not expect us to nuke ourselves into oblivion or unleash Skynet, and again those can migrate anywhere we do too. I expect humanity still to be around in a few thousand years, or a close approximation of us anyway, and I do not expect space settlement to take that long. But if it does, it really means nothing on galactic timelines. Alternatively, on galactic timelines, we can't wait too long or we might lose the galaxy to aliens. Channel regulars know that of all the Fermi Paradox explanations out there, while none sit with me just right, the one I find the strong lead contender, or least flawed contender, is the idea that no other intelligent life beat us to the punch on space settlement, at least not within many millions of light years of Earth. 
there may be vast numbers of planets with simple bacteria or even animal intelligent life in this galaxy, but not folks out colonizing the galaxy yet. Wait 50 million years though and that might change, and we have no expectation they would be kind to us if they arrived here and found us an isolated planet. Nature rarely encourages the critters in it to be gentle or fair, though where we see those traits it is often in us and other smarter mammals, so it might be the norm with aliens too. It is a big gamble though, and even if they left us be, I think we would be a lot more upset as a lone planet in a galaxy colonized all around us by others than simply a lone planet in an empty ocean of the night, as seems now to be the case. Either way, it is a strong long-term motivation. It also is for dealing with artificial intelligence, since some terrifying machine mind run amok must still follow the laws of physics, which means it can't send a fleet of motorbots to a neighboring solar system overnight, or faster than the speed of light brings us a warning. If we colonized a volume of 100 light years all around, that's roughly 60,000 stars, most probably with several major planets and thousands of minor planets each we could settle. That's a lot of places that could spawn nightmares, but that is also a lot of places that can band together to fight them. As an example, let's imagine Earth, as it is, has a 50-50 chance in a given millennia of an invention or event occurring that had a 50-50 chance of wiping out the planet, like a powerful AI getting made and let loose. So a 1 in 4 chance in a thousand years of us ceasing to be, and basically zero odds of still being alive in 100,000 years, far less time than humans have already existed. Now if we expand to 100,000 planets parallel to Earth, even assuming the odds didn't go down from shared knowledge of dangers, we expect 25,000 of those worlds to get burned out in a thousand years, or 25 every single year. That might be 25 murderous machine demigods unleashed on settled space every single year. That's not a gentle future but honestly it's a decently realistic one. The question then becomes, is 100,000 worlds better able to deal with 25 flare-ups a year than one world is with a 25% chance of one in a thousand years? And the answer is we don't know, since some threats might simply be so terrifying that they would crush a star league 100 light years in radius as easily as one single world. But overall, it would tend to seem like the 100,000 fighting 25 a year is going to manage it better. What's more, it would seem very likely that people could flee in a controlled and clever way. If we imagine spaceships can move at 25% of light speed, then a threat popping up on the other side of the subtle sphere 100 light years across needs 100 years for the message to reach Earth and 400 years at least for the threat to get here, and double that for the folks living on the other side of the subtle sphere. That's a long head start to send out an Exodus fleet, and one that cannot be easily tracked once it's gotten a decent distance out and changed course and divided up, potentially even on extragalactic journeys. I think we can make the case that the threats are increased by colonization but our capability to handle them rises even more, while at the same time any ban on colonization in the long term seems unfeasible and there'd be a growing worry we were running out of time. Against that, we still have the simple reality that people like to travel and grow. It is literally built into us. In any reasonably stable society, many folks will feel they are not having as much opportunity inside that society as if they travel to the frontier. History has shown this many times and each of us feels it in our heart, 
the frontier beckons. It is also very likely lifespans will keep on rising and medical improvements will help us retain our vigor longer, and that folks will be restless waiting decades to reach the equivalent of middle management in their career. So too those groups who want to be free of society, such as a given religious or political group that feels restricted by that society, are prone to packing up and leaving for the promised land, and in a civilization that tends to dislike them but also has some ethics, it might be viewed as better to hand them a space hulk to go settle their new utopia. Probably with some size of relief and a lot of folks looking forward to seeing them fail with their flawed ideas and overthrowing themselves or calling home to Earth for a bailout. Especially in a prosperous or even post-scarcity society, spaceships and even planets will be cheap early on. But the value of not having to put up with Group X complaining all the time might be priceless. You may insert here whichever organizational ideology most sets your teeth on edge, and I'd imagine you could see yourself cheerfully waving them goodbye at the dock, or perhaps waving goodbye to them as you yourself set off. I'm not sure how admirable a motivation for colonizing space that is, but it is a common motivation, and it too points to space. On the matter of praiseworthy motives, there's also the notion of an inner scorecard, both individually and collectively. One of those bits of life advice that makes the rounds, and is usually a pretty good one, is that we are prone to measuring our success and lining up our anxieties based on our position in our social hierarchy, and that this is principally determined by those who we most interact with, rather than your specific status in humanity. Few folks worrying about their financial status in the US or EU are thinking about what the median income of the planet as a whole is, it's about 3000 bucks a year, incidentally. And we certainly don't compare it to all the 100 billion or so people who have ever lived. We judge by those around us, and not just individually, groups and nations do this too. When on a race for survival, those next to you and just ahead and behind are those you focus on. And so even if there's just 20 nearby you and thousands behind, those 20 get your attention and worry. And generally the income of those you socialize with is going to rise over time. Those near you, both from your old friends growing in income as they age and get skills, and from you generally making new friends who are in your area. As a result, you tend to need to gain a lot more ground in wealth and influence to get a reduction in feelings of anxiety or stress. In a prosperous civilization, this can start getting very detached from personal survival and any realistic source of happiness, so we tend to encourage folks to develop an inner scorecard rather than trying to keep up with the Joneses. If you find yourself in that state of mind, try thinking of all the things you've accomplished that matter to you, as a compliment to that list of things in your life that you should be thankful for. I finally got to formally adopt my three kids, Christopher, Isabella, and Geometry, so I certainly have plenty to be thankful for myself. But I think that in a civilization that has every box checked for not just personal survival but luxury too, as a post-scarcity civilization might, there will be a lot of push to turn those efforts ever more toward worthy goals and a galaxy beckons. Those who might naysay that goal are likely to be trodden under in the rush for some commendable purposes. I'm writing this episode back in Thanksgiving and with the expectation we'll air the day before Christmas, and that many folks often tend to feel down this time of year as the days get short and it always seems dark and gloomy. The main intent is to make folks feel more upbeat and optimistic about humanity's future out in space, and to do so by rational and reasoned arguments. 
but I think the final argument to make in favor of that works at the individual level too. Inner or outer, individually or collectively, it's good to have a scorecard, and to populate that scorecard with worthy goals. And that's our final argument for if we will colonize space, that peoples and nations and even corporations will all have scorecards, and while the outer ones might be less worthy, to have the bigger nation or the bigger net assets or more people or a whole planet to call your own, or the prestige of planting your flag on a new world, they do manifestly encourage colonization of space, as does the desire to seek out a new land to grow upon without the ceilings of the culture you left. And on the other side of the fence, where one is less focused on if the grass is greener than on the other side, those more worthy inner goals also would seem to encourage many to wish to venture abroad or help others do so. That doesn't mean we shouldn't seek to clean up our messes here at home, and indeed that's our topic for later this week to close out the year, but we can not only walk and chew bubblegum at the same time, we often get better at solving one problem with what we learn from solving another. And if life is a grand adventure in pursuit of admirable endeavors, a trillion new worlds beckon us out into the galaxy, and I do not doubt we will choose to answer that call. As we were discussing today, there's a lot of indicators our future is going to be a grand and awesome one out there in space and here on Earth. But we have a lot of hurdles to still making that happen, and two of them are artificial intelligence and personal privacy, and unfortunately we're seeing the former getting used a lot now to exploit us and take away our privacy, to harvest our data and sell it to others. This is often legal too, and you can ask for that data to be removed, if you can find it and who posted it and tell them to remove it. They use the high speed automation of AI to harvest and post your data, and you can't keep up with sending those takedown requests. But two can play that game, and that's where our sponsor, Incogni, comes in. They deploy AI to focus on finding your information online, and send automated takedown requests for you. All you have to do is sign up, give them permission to act on your behalf to delete data, then they go to work and your data goes away. You can check up on the progress and see who had your data and how detailed and risky it was considered, Incogni makes those data harvesters take your info down, and they keep doing it too, making sure that it stays down. Incogni is available risk-free for 30 days so you can try it out and get a full refund if you aren't happy with the service. Use code IsaacArthur at the link in the episode description to get an exclusive 60% off an annual Incogni plan. Go to Incogni.com slash IsaacArthur and take your data back. Thanks everyone for joining us for this impromptu bonus episode today, and hopefully you've been enjoying the holiday season, and today's episode made your day a bit brighter. We are done for today but we still have one more regular episode this year, on clearing space debris, and our final livestream a week from now, on New Year's Eve, or afternoon anyway. Then we'll move into our 10th year here on SFIA, with a return to the Fermi Paradox and a look at Pan-Cosmoyo Theory, and the idea that colonizing other planets around distant stars may simply be ecologically unfeasible. Then we'll have a bonus episode on atypical satellites like the Statite, Ligite, and Quasite on Sunday, January 7th. Then we'll explore the concept of uplifting animal intelligence and the ethical conundrums we might encounter in that process. Make sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notification buttons to get notified about those upcoming episodes. 
You can also help support the show on Patreon, and if you want to donate and help in other ways, you can see those options by visiting our website, IsaacArthur.net. You can also catch all of SFIA's episodes early and ad-free on our streaming service Nebula, along with hours of bonus content, like this month's Nebula-exclusive episode, The Hermit Shoplifter Hypothesis, at go.nebula.tv slash As always, thanks for watching, and have a great week.